And welcome once again to Father Spencer's Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason in the year 2022. I'm Doug Keck, your guide here, and your questions are important to us, so email them to us at spitzersuniverse, one word, at EWTN.com. Check out all the Father Spitzer's websites, Matches Center website, Credible Catholic, and PurposefulUniverse.com as well. And be sure to check out the EWTN On Demand page and the EWTN YouTube channel where you can find Father Spitzer's Universe and a lot of other great programs available 24-7 on demand and for free on our on-demand service. And of course our topic, Signs of Demonic Possession from Father's Book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. Kind of interesting, hopefully you've already got that book and maybe you've bought Father's next book as well. But uh, check that out through EWTN's religious catalog. Speaking of books, we've got a wonderful book by our great friend Jeanette Benkovic-Williams entitled Graceful Living, Meditations to Help You Grow Closer to God Day by Day. That's always good to get you through the year. And now, with that said, we turn to our leader who will lead us in prayer out on the West Coast. And it's great to see you, Father Spitzer. If you're coming to focus, there I see you, now I see you. Very good. Great and before to be you, with you, Doug. Right. And yeah. before you say the prayer, I wanted to acknowledge uh, a passing of a great friend of EWTN and, yeah. and of course, Mother Angelica. And I'm sure mm -hmm. uh, you had many interactions with yeah. her as well. The passing of Dr. Alice von Hildebrand. Uh, 1923-2022. She was just a little bit older than Mother Angelica. She owes to kid mother about that. And people can find out more information on uh, the Von Hildebrand website. Uh, and the funeral I know is on at Saturday in New York uh, at the Church of the Holy Family at 9.30 a.m. So uh, obviously you probably won't be there, but it'd be good if you could keep Alice and her husband uh, Dietrich uh, a great theologian in your prayers, and uh, we wanted to honor her. A great, great lady who I will go on record and say I'm sure will be a saint someday, or she will be one shortly, because uh, she was a wonderful, wonderful person. And we'll miss her greatly uh, f because of her absence. With that, Father, if you'd like to pray for that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you today especially to um, please take care of dear Alice von Hildebrand, uh, a great saint and faithful member of our church. Uh, I ask you, Lord, to just take her right to yourself as we know you probably will uh, with all of the blessings uh, in your heavenly kingdom and for her good husband, Dietrich, as well. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, um, myself, and our whole audience this day so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your church, your people, and your kingdom. Asking all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much uh, for doing that, Father. So, uh, and we'll get on to our topic. We have some uh, interesting news stories, of course. Uh, if you're watching us here on EWGN, you know, coming up uh, this weekend, certainly the March for Life, uh, we've got the Vigil Mass on Thursday, and of course the weekend we have uh, One Life LA and also Walk for Life West Coast as well. So I thought uh, talking about some of the life issues in the news would be uh, apropos. Uh, here's one that I wanted to get your reaction to. Catholic mm -hmm. Governor Phil Murphy 
New Jersey at the time will sign bill legalizing abortions up to birth. And this actually has already happened. Uh, this is a Life News article. Mm -hmm. New Jersey State Le Legislature gave final approval to a bill yesterday that will legalize killing babies and abortions up to birth. Governor Phil Murphy, who claims to be a practicing Catholic, has in fact signed that. Uh, and uh, the article goes on to say the bill also allows all qualified health care professionals, and this is a new one they're sneaking in there, to conduct abortions. Although abortion advocates have said for decades that abortions should be between a woman and her doctor, the legislation now allows non-doctors to do abortions, putting the life uh, and health of the woman at risk. Yesterday, Murphy said he will sign the bill at the time he has signed it, uh, calling for this uh, is more urgent than ever before. So not only do we have it happening, but we have people who you know, clearly banner themselves as practicing Catholics. Yeah, I'm afraid that um, people are not acting according to their conscience. Uh, either that or they're just woefully ignorant of what the church teaches and woefully ignorant as well of uh, the murder that is of an innocent that's taking place uh, through um, uh, what's going on in, in uh, abortion procedures. So uh, the first thing I would have to say is... Um, um, you know, reminds me of a lot of history, uh, reminds me of uh, Richard Rich there uh, making the accusation against uh, St. Thomas More, and uh, of course he did this in order to get that great uh, uh, seal from um, Wales. Uh, he uh, wanted an office, and uh, so he just uh, sold his soul, uh, and uh, literally, which led mm -hmm. to the, the death of uh, Thomas More. And, um, and uh, he did it for, uh, to get an office. And we've seen it again and again. We see all the various politicians that said, well, you know, I, I know there's terrible things going on with these Jewish people uh, in the camps mm -hmm. there. And, and, uh, but, you know, I, I like my office. I like my place in government here. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to go along to get along. Right. And I don't know if that's really what is going on in the case of the New Jersey governor. However, what I would say is he is cooperating with it fully and almost seems to be supporting it beyond cooperation, uh, including this new, um, uh, you know, opening uh, to let non-doctors uh, start performing abortions. I think uh, really uh, what happened to conscience, mm -hmm. what happened to religion, what happened to, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do anything to get a political office. There are limits to what I can do uh, in my own conscience. Uh, there are limits to, you know, what I'm, I'm going to allow myself to be dragged into uh, in order to have, as it were, my good political living. So uh, I don't know uh, uh, what to say other than uh, this is appalling and um, I wish it would stop. I wish politicians would listen to their conscience. And it leads me right to, I think that's why we need a decision um, in this Dobbs case, because uh, I, I do think if we don't get something from the uh, Supreme Court, we're just going to keep continuing um, as normal. And mm -hmm. the decision we I, hopefully we will get from the Supreme Court will be one uh, based on a more universal principle uh, than just the state's rights principle. I mean, the state's rights principle is, uh, you know, certainly as, uh, is a violation, I think, of state's rights. And so I do think we can have a corrective of the decision and maybe Roe, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade would lead to the states um, receiving mm -hmm. 
um, uh, you know, the right again to determine for their own people, according to democratic procedures, uh, will receive the, uh, the right again to determine mm -hmm. for themselves what they're going to do in this case of the murder of an innocent, where they do have the explicit duty to protect life according to their own state's constitution. So that part, I think, is good. I do think the court could go further, though, mm. because there's a science issue at hand here. And, and uh, originally, remember that the Supreme Court made the Roe v. Wade decision on the basis that there was uncertainty about whether life existed. Mm -hmm. And so on that basis, they committed, of course, the logical error of actually saying that, um, that uh, uh, because we're uncertain whether life exists, we'll go ahead and sanction killing that life. Now, that's uh, in itself not only a, a logical problem, uh, it's an ethical problem of the highest degree. So that's the first, uh, you know, illogical dimension of the Roe v. Wade decision. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, today, the science is settled. It is mm -hmm. resolved. Uh, I think about two, three weeks ago, maybe, I talked about that amicus curiae brief. I think it was submitted by the American mm -hmm. Legal Society, or, or I'm not sure who, but it's right there on the website site um, uh, for the Dobbs decision. If you just go to the amicus curiae briefs, click on it. It's the one that has all the evidence now of what um, uh, PhD biologists are uh, saying about when life begins. Mm -hmm. I think the one that was administered internationally, it was something like 86% of, um, of uh, PhD biologists said it clearly begins at fertilization, the genome is complete, the zygote, which is going to be the unity of the um, cells um, of this human being throughout the rest of uh, his or her life, uh, that zygote is there present, that unity mm -hmm. of the human being throughout the rest of their life is there present uh, right at the, the stage of fertilization. I think um, I, the United States, the, the poll in the United States, I think it was about 66%, 67% of these PhD biologists basically said life begins at fertilization, no doubt mm -hmm. about that. Uh, the rest, uh, the other three criterion, uh, criteria that were given um, were, uh, I think it was about 10% of the physicians said that it was viability, but viability is hardly a standard um, that's objective because, right, you could go to a rural hospital and viability might be two weeks longer uh, mm -hmm. than, uh, than one in a city hospital mm -hmm. or an urban hospital. And similarly, uh, you could go to one country and viability could be a month longer uh, than in another country that has more sophisticated medical technology. So viability is hardly an objective criterion for the establishment of when life begins. The second, um, uh, I think about 10% of the physicians, uh, they chose um, some, uh, you know, uh, indication like first signs of um, human activity like brain waves, which I think in about six weeks, uh, fetal heartbeat, seven and a half to eight weeks. Um, they chose one of those kinds of things mm -hmm. uh, where there was uh, like the heartbeat bill, uh, you know, in Mississippi there. Wow. So the, the idea 
Um, behind that, though, is wait a minute. Um, uh, if if uh, if if it's that, if you know, why not another uh, you know sign of human life? In fact, uh, if why choose heartbeat? Why choose uh, brain waves? Why not just choose when the two gametes unite and you've basically got mm. a new human being there with a full human genome and the zygote, which will be the unity of that organism, uh, that human being in perpetuity. So uh, why not choose that? I mean, mm. it's so arbitrary. And then finally, of course, post birth. Why should that be? Uh, the 10% of the biologists say that's when human life begins, after birth. I mean, no embryologist has believed that since 1935 or something. I mean, it's just like, this is like ancient history completely. It, no, nobody believes this except people who are looking, you know, for uh, an abortion law that has no uh, restrictions whatsoever. So uh, there's only one criterion. Uh, most biologists agree, not only most, a supermajority in the United States and internationally of PhD biologists say life begins at fertilization. And here's the deal, and I think this is where we could get a broader Supreme Court um, uh, 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 ruling. Mm -hmm. and, and that is because, um, in my view, I, I think that, um, you know, again, the problem with the, the Dred Scott versus Sanford decision, this is where the Supreme Court of the United States unanimously said that um, slavery was uh, not only legal, mm -hmm. but in order to do that, they basically said that um, black human beings who were human beings, I mean, admittedly human beings, they said, well, they were not persons, right? Mm -hmm. A person is right, a, kind of like a legal status, legal mm -hmm. personhood, deserving of protection under the law. Okay. Now, so they said, okay, now if you're not a person, then you become basically property according to the law. You get two classifications. That's either a person or it's property. And what kind of property would it be? Well, it's chattel, right? It's movable property. And that's what happened uh, not only in the, uh, in the slavery decision. This goes all the way back uh, to really the 1500s where, of course, slave traders uh, saw this as a very desirable result mm -hmm. to classify these good human beings, to classify them as property and as chattel. And so by doing this, you didn't have to secure any rights for them mm -hmm. under the law. You could treat them like any piece of movable property, like mm -hmm. a cow or a dog or, I don't know, uh, anything you can carry around with you. Right. So the point then is, well, once you do that, uh, of course, you now permit egregious injustice, right? And this is what was done with all the slavery decisions. We, and back in, I think it was like 1680 or something, uh, we uh, in the United States here in a Virginia uh, statute actually classified uh, black human beings as um, non-persons as chattel and began the whole slave movement. Well, that is what was done in Roe v. Wade. Right. The minute you say this human being, and now science has made the determination, human life begins at fertilization. If that is the case, then we now know, and the court now knows, that this is the time when human beings, essence, nature really exists. If that's the case, you're going to do the very same thing knowingly if you don't reverse the decision 
decision on this basis, you are knowingly going to say that these human beings, which we are now certain are human beings by their genetic uh, um, code, their full genetic code, and the status of the, of the zygote, which will be the unity of the organism mm -hmm. throughout the rest of his or her life. Now we know that this human being exists, but they're not persons. We're going to do the, the Dred Scott deal all over again, the Virginia statute all over again. We're going to say that preborn human beings are chattel. Right. When are we going to learn our lesson that human beings can't be considered property? Because the minute you start doing this, terrible, terrible injustices, unremediable which, injustices right. are going we've, to occur. Which is what we've seen experienced yeah. with the, the abortion yeah. mentality and then rolling that yeah. into euthanasia and assisted yep. suicide and all of these Absolutely. kind of things. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. If, if all of this is yeah. so self-evident, then why do we end up with uh, the French President Emmanuel Macron calling uh, <laughs> on Wednesday for abortion to be added to the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights? He says, 20 years after the proclamation of our Charter of Fundamental Rights, which notably enshrined the abolition of the death penalty throughout the Union, I hope that we can update the Charter. So we got rid of the death penalty. Now we want to be more explicit on environmental protection. That's uh, number one, of course, <laughs> or the recognition of the right to abortion, which in some cases rolls into people's ideas about environmental protection because there's a lot of population control stuff behind the whole environmental movement, isn't there? Yeah, well, all I can say here is uh, uh, maybe the English quote, nonsense. <laughs> just nonsense. I mean, this is like, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is taking place in a country that had actually, you know, spawned uh, so much reflection on the whole area of rights, but unfortunately didn't, uh, apparently didn't appropriate it, uh, at least in its current, the, the vision of its current uh, president. So, um, you know, uh, all I can say is uh, I, I have no explanation for how he can hold this. I, uh, abortion can never be a fundamental right. Murder can never be a fundamental right. And now that we know, I mean, according to the international poll, I'm not talking just about the U.S. poll of, of biologists. Yes, human life begins at fertilization. If that's the case, they're a human being. If they're a human being, you have to consider them a human person. If you don't mm -hmm. consider them a human person, you're considering them to be property. And this is the same error made in all of the slavery decisions. And, of course, why would Macron want to, to, to get himself involved in something uh, of this grave and ethical and and you know not it's not just a, an ethical problem it's an injustice a political injustice on the highest levels to enshrine as it were mm. as a political right the, the 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 ability to murder an innocent the sanctioning uh, the official sanctioning of the murder of innocents and and the consideration of those innocents to be nothing more than movable property in the eyes of the French law Mm. It, it, it's, it's a scandal, and I hope the French people will see this and stop it and stop the nonsense as it begins. Mm -hmm. Very good. Here's another story that, that's out there, came out about last week. And this is, uh, so Bill Donahue of the Catholic League responded to it. Uh, uh, he was mm. talking about the attempts that are out in the culture to normalize pedophilia. And he, he noted and, uh, that USA Today... Uh, is getting flack for publishing an article by a particular journalist saying that not all adults who are sexually attracted to children are molesters. They need to be understood, not chastised. And, it, and he basically goes on to point out how 
unfortunately, many times uh, some of the uh, homosexual activists have justified pedophilia along the way, and there's uh, this uh, where they kind of use this term now called minor attracted persons maps. I used to thought that meant uh, modified American plan when you went on a trip, but apparently it has <laughs> minor attracted persons. Uh, and, and in this, the whole idea, and it's an organization of psychiatrists and mental health professionals, many of whom teach at prestigious university dedicated to the proposition that MAPS, who are almost always men, are seriously misunderstood and suffer from being stigmatized by the rest of, rest of us. They believe that pedophilia is not a sexual disorder, but rather a sexual orientation like homosexuality. Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, there is something, when you look at the gravity of what pedophilia does to the minor, I mean, it's one thing to say you ought to have a, com a compassion on somebody who has sinned. Christ certainly had that. Mm -hmm. But the point is, the gravity of the harm that is perpetrated is so immense it, 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 it's so, it affects people, uh, you know, at, at every stage of their lives. Mm -hmm. There has to be some point at which self-control has to manifest itself in pure regard for the person who will be harmed throughout the rest of their lives. Now, if you're saying that this disorder is so pronounced that self-control is a virtual impossibility. That in other words, they don't have enough self-control to prevent themselves from doing this kind of unmitigated harm to a person throughout the rest of their lives. Then there has to be some other way of guaranteeing the safety of these children. Now, I mean, I'm not suggesting radical ways of controlling this, but there must be some ways, either hormonally or some other way, of trying to uh, help these people to have uh, enough self-control. Otherwise, they are a pure menace to society, right? You can say, hey, I have compassion for a person who has schizophrenia, uh, schizophrenia paranoid schizophrenia, right? And, but, you know, this uh, particular person over here has gotten to the point where, you know, they have a desire to kill people. Okay, well, uh, compassion doesn't mean letting them do so. Right. There have to be ways of preventing them from doing this. You can't say, oh, here's Joe. I, I do pity the fact that he is a sociopath. Okay, of course, Christ certainly had compassion on people who you know, may have had the worst possible upbringings, and now they're a sociopath. I'm okay with that, having compassion, but I'm not okay with letting them out on the streets right, so exactly. that they can do right. horrible, horrible things to people. And certainly, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, no one can judge, right, whether a person has committed a, a mortal sin because we don't know whether they really did have sufficient knowledge and the real difficulty, whether they had full consent of the will. That, that they, you know, they, they didn't have impediments to the free use of their will. Many of these people probably do have some extreme psychological impediments that would prevent them from being free, but society has the requirement of protecting those people. And the, uh, you know, just putting this out as if, you know, uh, we can have compassion 
uh, uh, you know, and, and should mm -hmm. have compassion on these people and shouldn't stigmatize them. Well, you, you're going to have to do something. You're, you know, you societal leaders have a responsibility for restricting the movement of these people and their ability to approach minors. Right. Uh, this is just absolutely a necessity. And so at the end of the day, I mean, okay, compassion, yes. I don't know whether this person is a sinner or not. I can't call them evil. Right. But at the same time, uh, we do have a responsibility that in our compassion, we don't let them simply right. go uh, around doing immense well, you, and terrible you, you, grave you, you harm mentioned a, to a, these young people. Right. Well, you mentioned a phrase earlier that's gone, which is called self-control. I mean, the yeah. idea that you are, you, yes, you may have these predilections. Yes, you may have these drives. But it doesn't absolve you of all of your responsibility for your actions, especially if you're in a situation where mm -hmm. if you're a person who knows that's an issue for you, then you make sure you stay away from situations where you might be the most tempted. I mean, Mother used to always right. talk about avoiding the occasion of sin. If you're that's a person correct. who's got trouble with alcohol, you should stay out of bars. If you're a person who's yeah. got some trouble with gambling, maybe you shouldn't go to the track or hang out at casinos. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you don't have something that maybe is driving you that more so than somebody else, but you also have to then acknowledge that situation and then back away. And we live in a culture yeah. today that because it's like, well, you can't say that they're going to do anything bad. So let's take somebody who, who, who unfortunately has a, an, an, an odd fascination with young children, and let's have them be a, a kindergarten teacher, a, a youth group <laughs> minister. Let's put them in uh -huh. the middle of the Boy Scout troop, you know, because it doesn't yeah. mean they're going to do anything. Yes, but you're putting that person in a, in a position where it's so easy for them to fall. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think, honestly, you, you know, the problem is if a person doesn't have the self-control not to commit the act, then they don't have the self-control to take, oftentimes, the steps needed. Mm -hmm. See, a 12-step program alone won't do it. You actually need some kind of uh, external authoritative constraint mm -hmm. uh, to help you. And if that's not the case, then you should not be in circulation. I mean, you just, you're going to have to have some external uh, constraint to do this mm -hmm. because apparently if you, if you don't have enough self-control not to do a, the kind of magnitude of harm we're talking about here right. uh, to another human being for the rest of your lives, then I think there has to be some external constraint. I think it is warranted. Of course, you can be compassionate about applying it, but right. you have to apply it. You just can't let people, uh, you know, who have these predilections, as you put it, uh, you know, uh, go into the public and abuse children. It's just right. impossible. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, you know, I'm glad Donahue de definitely no, right. um, responded to it. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And it does seem like we were talking about France earlier, you know, kind of the Rousseau thing, but the... Uh, you know, this idea like, well, if people are left to their own devices, they'll just do the right thing. And yeah. we're seeing in the last year, I think it lived out on our streets that that's not quite true. That is not quite true. Indeed, not true at all. Right. And in fact, the exploitation of those people who have those predilections that goes on in the Internet, Mm. And they do. They exploit and exploit and exploit to the point where, honestly, these people 
if they didn't lose control, mm -hmm. they're losing control because of the stimulus that they're getting, and this makes them even greater predators, and that's why we need external constraints. You just can't say, don't stigmatize them, period. Yes, don't stigmatize them, but do something to externally constrain them. Right, very good. Uh, here's another uh, quick thing just before we, we come up on the break. Uh, there was an article, uh, was in the Register, uh, our, uh, mm -hmm. our, our family paper, so to speak, uh, and, mm -hmm, it, yeah. and, it, and it's a book that's come out that our friends at Ignatius Press and your confrere, mm -hmm. Father Joseph Fessio, the one and only, uh, <laughs> has published a book called Jesuit at Large, Essays and Reviews by Paul V. Mankowski, S.J., edited by George Weigel, and I noticed it because he kind of talks about the, mm -hmm. and I'll say notorious Father Drinan, uh, who all of us who yeah. grew up in the 60s and 70s are, are well familiar with, and, and mm -hmm. his uh, seemingly ongoing public support for abortion. Did, did you know Mankowski or who he is, or why do you think a book like this oh, is sure. important? Okay. Well, first, I, I certainly knew Paul, mm -hmm. and um, a wonderful, uh, good friend, and uh, uh, truly one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, and he probably was exceedingly accurate uh, mm -hmm. when he put together uh, those papers. Uh, much of it uh, he had discovered in mm -hmm. various archives, and um, he made them public. And I, you know, George Weigel has now made them public. But I do think, um, uh, you know, the Jesuits. Uh, uh, who, um, in this case, uh, was really restricted, I think, to, to Father Drinan, um, who was doing this. Um, and, I mean, I know he was participating uh, in um, uh, various uh, um, uh, events at the uh, Kennedy compound mm. uh, where there were actually legislative strategy sessions and things of that nature to try and move abortion forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and as, in as much as he was participating in them, uh, that is truly, you know, uh, something right. for which we must apologize because it is just a terrible, terrible thing that has been done in public and it has just unleashed a Pandora's box of millions of murders of innocence and it just it's very, very tragic indeed. And so I think um, uh, Paul did uh, put that together. I know Paul, uh, he was very, very accurate. He, he also uh, uh, was a good researcher mm -hmm. and uh, very, very intelligent, one of the best writers uh, I've ever known. And uh, so I think uh, the book will be found uh, very interesting, but it is a tragic moment in, in history that, that Father Drinan actually uh, Right. Was participating in this and certainly did it as his in his capacity as a uh, right. as a congressperson. And uh, and you'd be happy to learn Remember that uh, uh, that Father Drinan and his Jesuit confessors repeatedly gave the impression that he received approval from Jesuit superiors, his local bishops. It, it now turns out to be that wasn't true. With that being the case, we'll take yeah. a break. We'll get to your questions in the second part of the program. Stay with us. Spitzer's universe. We'll be moving on to the topic, signs of demonic possession. Of course, 
excerpted from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. We also now turn to Father so we can get some uh, feedback on some of your questions. We're always important here on the show. First up, dear Father Spitzer, I keep hearing how younger people are more pro-life than older generations. When I watch the March for Life on EWTN, thank you for doing that. I'm amazed at the sea of fresh young faces participating. Absolutely. Why does this not translate to the ballot box? Younger people are said to be pro-life, but appear to vote for candidates who are pro-choice while supporting other social justice issues. And this is from Chris. Interesting. Yeah, Chris, I think there is something to that. Uh, I think there's, um, uh, you know, Kristen Hawkins, who's, you know, the stu uh, who's head of Students for Life. Uh, she's very much trying to get that pro-life issue elevated in the minds of the students. And so, in a way, um, she's uh, doing pretty well. Um, I think in, in, um, in getting a lot of student support that wasn't there previously. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, though, I, I do think um, the, the kids are caught up uh, in trying to balance the various issues. And I think we have to do a better job showing that abortion really is, uh, you might say, dogma. It, it, it's, it's unchangeable it, mm -hmm. over time. It's, it's, you know, it's not like doctrine which can develop. Mm -hmm. uh, dogma is dogma. It just is what it is and it mm -hmm. stays what it is. And we have to do a better job saying, now this is very important. Murder of an innocent is murder of an innocent. It's never right. It can never be justified. And in the prioritization of ethical issues, it is as serious as it can possibly be. You shouldn't murder innocents. Just as, you know, um, uh, in the papal encyclicals, the condemnation of slavery, uh, you know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, was very, very explicit. The point, though, that uh, is being made is we do have to make some priorities in ethics. We just can't say, there's a balance that doesn't have any intrinsic priorities. And I think we really should put uh, abortion uh, at the top of the list because I do think it is an intrinsic evil. I do think it will never uh, uh, obviously be good to murder an innocent any more than it will be good uh, to start enslaving people again. I don't think there's going to be, you know, it's such a serious crime. It, 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 it uh, you know, makes everything else pale in comparison and so you know people seem to say very flippantly well i just don't put abortion at the top of the list mm -hmm. and my question always is why not mm -hmm. I, I don't i don't get that okay uh, there's a murder i mean can, can you imagine you're in nazi germany there and you go well you know there's the issue of uh, you know murdering um, gypsies and Jews and so forth uh, you know that's that's there but there's also the issue of our economy mm -hmm. there's also the issue of you know the indebtedness right. uh, uh, you know that we had this terrible uh, war debt you know that was exacted upon the mm -hmm. German people there's also the issue of this that and the other thing you know but you know in the balance you know I, I kinda went with the other ones rather than murdering uh, you know, uh, Jews and, and gypsies and other um, uh, groups, uh, handicapped and so forth. So you look at that and you say, hmm, 
uh, is that a correct response? Of course it's not. That's insanity that we should not be ranking the evils that, you know, we are expected to assess in an election. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to do is do a better job in getting that prioritization, which, by the way, the bishops in the USCCB have been very good about you know, talking about. And, you know, we've got still 10 months to the midterm elections, but still, I think right now we have to start, especially with young people, you know, who I think in their own way are very good-willed, and they do want to have a balance of these issues, and they are sold on the balance argument uh, rather than on the intrinsic prioritization of ethical wrongs argument uh, that I think should obviously rule the debate because if you don't prioritize, I mean, right. our, our founding fathers prioritized the right to life over the right to liberty and prioritized the right to liberty over the right to property. And they did it on the basis of what's called the necessity criterion, right? Any right which is necessary for the possibility of another right must be more fundamental than the one it supports. So if the, life to, uh, the right to life is uh, necessary for the very possibility of the right to liberty, then the right to life must be a more fundamental right, a higher right than the right to liberty. Of, is, is the right to life necessary for the possibility of liberty? Of course it is. If you're dead, your liberty rights are a moot question. Right. Similarly, uh, I mean, in, during the Civil War, I mean, we have the same prioritization. What's higher, the liberty rights of um, um, uh, uh, black human beings or the, um, uh, the uh, property rights of white human beings. Mm -hmm. What's higher? Well, the necessity criterion already gives you the intrinsic ordering, the intrinsic prioritization of rights. You know, is the right to liberty necessary for the very possibility of the right to property? Of course it is. I mean, hey, if I tell you, hey, Doug, you can own all the property you wish. Mm -hmm. However, I am going to own you. Well, the minute I own you, I own your property right. with you. Right. So, of course, the liberty rights have to be higher. They're conditional. So, and you look at it, you say, well, then, the liberty rights, the higher right, and that's the way it is. And you have to settle a rights decision on, the, on that basis. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the, in Dred Scott versus Sanford, of course, they tried to fudge on this. And, of course, the minute they fudged on this, the Supreme Court unanimously uh, set, pronounced not only that the, the property rights of white people were higher than the liberty rights of black people, but on the, in the same breath, they said that the inferior uh, class should subordinate themselves, should be subordinated right. to the superior we race. How, well, we know how that all wow. works out. We know yeah. how that all works out. Let me get to another yeah. question quick that uh, <laughs> has to do kind of with the pro-life movement. Dear Father Spitzer, yeah. I think many people who are pro-abortion are not evil people at heart, but confused on the facts of what abortion really is. But how do we instruct them in matters of the truth? I watch EW10's March for Life coverage every year and see the huge crowd supporting life, yet this event is misrepresented in the secular media as poorly attended or not covered at all as if it didn't exist. How do we convince the masses with these evil forces working to continue the killing? Nancy. Well, Nancy, I mean, it's the problem uh, always and ever of propaganda. And um, as you know, um, tyrants... 
uh, are very well aware of the power of propaganda and have always used them. A tyrant is somebody who wants to use another person for their own uh, elevation and indeed for their power over them. And in the, I think that abortion is a tyranny. Mm -hmm. And it's a tyranny uh, of the uh, of uh, you know, pre-born uh, human beings uh, for the precise uh, desire uh, to uh, falsely proclaim a freedom which will get people elected, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do I think um, that this is a, a, you know, maybe it wasn't a tyrannical way of getting tyrannical power. Uh, maybe it was a politically, um, you know, manipulative way of getting tyrannical, tyrannical power. Right. But tyrannical power it is when you start exerting uh, the state's authority uh, to, to kill uh, innocent human right. beings. Uh, th that is a tyranny indeed. And I think we just have one on our hands. Uh, how do we get through the propaganda maze? Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's a little beyond my expertise. You know, I, uh, EWTN actually holds my point of view, mm -hmm. and so I'm allowed to say it. But if I tried to get on secular media with some of these uh, notions, I dare say um, I would not only um, be canceled, I dare say I, I would be prohibited. <laughs> so um, uh, the, uh, this is the problem. I mean, we, we have a media that is indeed very biased. And so um, I think we still have to use grassroots. And grassroots are really, really important. We have to talk about this in our churches. The fact that less and less people are going to church is problematic because we can't get to them through that. Mm -hmm. But we can get to them through other town hall meetings. We can get uh, to them uh, through election cycles where we actually uh, can be on the stump. Uh, and of course, the buying of political ads during the political season is really important. We're going to have to shell out some cash. I hate to say this. I think we really need to not only support pro-life candidates, though certainly that, we should be doing that, but I think we're going to have to shell out uh, some cash to get the the, some pro-life ads that talk about abortion mm -hmm. precisely in the terms that I've been talking about it. I know I get a little abstract sometimes and on my high horse and maybe we need you know some really good ad people to fashion those ads but they can be right. fashioned but they cost money but I think it's high time Absolutely. now you know, especially if this, if this Dobbs decision overrules Roe, if and they, if we get a broad decision, that would be great. A problem solved. Then, of course, the broader decision would rule on the basis of when life begins. That the Supreme Court would then be, uh, uh, you know, acknowledge that we have to protect uh, human life. Um, and, and because we have to protect human life and it's one with human personhood, we're not going to make the false distinction between human beings and human persons right. and say that, you know, they're, they're chattel, they're just mere property. If we, if we get that settlement, we're in great shape. But we're probably going to get a state's rights one where right. the, the abortion decision is going to be turned back, back to, to the, the states. states. Right. Right. That's exactly. right. And if we get that, then we got to start really working Absolutely. on gubernatorial elections for pro-life candidates, um, st state legislature, and of course uh, senatorial right. um, you know, elections as well. And we need ads that explain our position because you know. we certainly won't get any ad time or any news time uh, from a lot of the popular media right. outlets. Right. I just wanted to comment one thing you were talking about, the, the question about the coverage 
of the march. Mm -hmm. One time there was actually a story from one of the major Washington newspapers that actually came out before the march happened because they'd already pre-written what the story was going to be. <laughs> and one time a reporter who, who read that uh, or himself kept hearing about there wasn't anybody at the march, but he walked down to see the tens, a hundred thousand people. Meanwhile, yeah. he was working for a newspaper that was acting as if it didn't exist. With that being said, let's move on to our topic in the closing sure. 10 minutes. One thing I wanted to, I saw an article here popped up on Crisis Magazine, and it turns out, uh, you know, you would always say, and I would always think that Catholicism and tarot cards uh, go together like fish and bicycles, to quote the late, <laughs> well, not the late, but Gloria Steinem's aphorism. But until recently, apparently a woman who just has come back uh, to the church uh, named Brittany Muller uh, has a book called The Contemplative Tarot, and it's going to be scheduled to be released later this year. And she talks about tarot being its own kind of prayer, and they using the Rider Waite deck, which is one of the most popular tarot decks in America. Now, we know that uh, this is problematic, isn't it? Especially when we're going to talk about Robbie Mannheim. Yeah, tarot cards, uh, uh, by the way, are not just occult, they're black occult, uh, even though a lot of their practitioners call them uh, white occult, that mm. they call them like uh, white magic or mm. actually white, uh, you, know, uh, you know, perception of the praetor natural. And the, the main thing, of course, is there is no such thing. You're, the minute you are looking for knowledge and power and appealing to the spiritual world for knowledge and power, speaking of Robbie Mannheim, mm -hmm. this is where you get into real problems. You have no idea what spirit is speaking in the preternatural domain. You have no idea. You might think that it's a good spirit. You may think it's an angel. You may be completely convinced of it. But you are more likely than not, if you're using tarot cards instead of if you're using prayer and right. listening to genuine prophecy, if you're using tarot cards, more likely than not, you are listening to an evil spirit who is going to take advantage right. of it. You're playing with black magic. You're playing with black forces. You're playing, you know, preternatural, mm -hmm. just think of it, you know, don't think, oh, maybe I have an angel this time. Uh, think of it as, I probably have a devil this time. Mm -hmm. And that's your best thought you can ever have. You have no idea what spirit is speaking to you. You have no idea what spirit is controlling the domain. Uh, as in Robbie Mannheim's case, right, there he was playing the tarot, uh, uh, not the tarot cards, but the, with the Ouija board. Ouija and board, right, and right. You know, of course, the Ouija board was indicating that it was his deceased aunt who was speaking to him, mm -hmm. but it wasn't his deceased aunt. We know the devil is a liar, and a liar mm -hmm. from the very beginning, as well as a murderer. And we know that, of course, Robbie went right after it, invited him right into his, uh, that, that spirit, into his heart, into his home. And the spirit was, turned out, of course, to be a very, very high-ranking de uh, demonic uh, uh, spirit. Uh, which took uh, uh, multiple exorcisms, almost right. 30 of them, right. uh, to, to uh, you know, complete uh, the course, right. even with Robbie, 
uh, not only turning to the Catholic Church, but finally receiving mm -hmm. communion after his, um, you know, act of faith, and so his uh, profession of faith. And so well, what we uh, can see is uh, never, uh, this is, yeah, fish and bicycles, right. there you go. I mean, th that is uh, exactly the truth, and, and that book is a complete deception, and uh, believe me, the person who may be pra practicing it may think she's authentic, mm -hmm. but she's not authentic. She's playing with forces she does not know mm -hmm. about, and those forces will turn on you like there is no tomorrow. Those forces will definitely uh, not only turn on you, you'll invite them into you, and the next thing mm -hmm. you know is you're really going to be in trouble because just try and free yourself from them without an exorcism after you've invited them in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty bleak. Right. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, bad, bad so that news book. Bridges is in the last few minutes into page 163, the 30 exorcisms okay. of Rami Mannheim in four mm -hmm. different locations. On page 164, mm -hmm. you talk about, I want to talk about some of the specifics, the idea of scratch lines started forming all over Robbie's body, on his arms, legs, and chest, mm -hmm. and above his head a red figure of the devil appeared with yeah. arms stretched and webbed like a bat, and the word hell emerged on Robbie's chest. And yeah. devil and the mm -hmm. word hell were both there. And then later on, there was also the word go, which was there yeah. as well. So those are some of yeah. those things were featured a little bit in the in the movie The Exorcist. And it seemed a little uh, over the top, but apparently not. No, no. The, these uh, uh, incidents were witnessed by um, five, you know, good academic Jesuits uh, from St. Louis University who saw uh, every bit of it and uh, wrote it down. Uh, apparently, the you know the evil spirit, you know, once he, you know, hiding is the usual te uh, uh, technique. But mm -hmm. once uh, you can't, uh, he can't hide anymore. Oh, he reveals himself in a way that will scare you. Mm -hmm. So uh, the idea is, I got power here. Uh, you know, it's the devil speaking. You better uh, run for cover. When, and as I've said a million times on this program, the name of Jesus is your best protection. He has no power over you when you are using the divine name and faith. So mm -hmm. you can say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, right? In the name of Jesus Christ, be gone, Satan. And I'm telling you that name used in faith you have power over him in the name, the essence, the spirit of Jesus by pronouncing his name in faith. So the, uh, the idea is you, you don't have to be scared of him. And the exorcists knew that they didn't have to be scared of him. Doesn't mean he won't try. Right. He tried to tempt Jesus. You know, he'll right. try anything. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's not beyond uh, uh, in, any tactic uh, whatsoever. Yeah, doesn't he tell the priest, well, I see you in hell. I can see the future and I yeah. can see you actually in hell. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's uh, um, that's very very typical mm -hmm. because of course again it's another one of his scare tactics. But of course it's not up to the devil; it's mm -hmm. up to Jesus Christ to determine. In, in the end, you know, most of the time, as I always say, people choose hell. Uh, right. Jesus doesn't have to send anybody there; mm -hmm. uh, they willingly go because that's what they want. They prefer power. They prefer autonomy. They prefer you know um, uh, the licentious life, et cetera. Etc. to anything that right. God, quote-unquote, 
could possibly offer, although they don't know what God could offer. They have no idea. They certainly have not been reading the interior castle of St. Teresa right. of Avila. So right. the, the point is pretty clear, though, that in the case of the devil, he does try to use scare tactics, and he will even know. So if the exorcist in his past life made mistakes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, committed sins, uh, he will expose that to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the main thing, of course, is you just can't get perturbed uh, by it. You just have to keep going on right. uh, with the prayers and tell him to be quiet. Right. You know, that's all you can do. So the, the, the main thing, though, in, in this case with Robbie is the scare tactics were not successful on those Jesuits, and they proceeded with the exorcism. And ultimately, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, Robbie, in his own uh, right, he, he, he did make a profession of faith. Mm -hmm. And after his profession of faith, he did make a confession. And then after the confession, he finally, um, you know, the, uh, received the Holy Eucharist. And right after he did receive a little piece of the Eucharist, right then, everything turned around. And then on Easter Monday, um, right. the full um, exorcism was completed. Right. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, you really uh, telescoped that together there because uh, there's, mm -hmm. uh, there's several times when they tried to give him oh, communion yeah. and he wouldn't take yeah. it. Uh, they tr when he wanted yeah. to be baptized and, and they, yeah. every time they tried to do the creed with him, he would go into a trance. And oh, also yeah. talk about in the, uh, the college church at, at uh, St. Louis University, the fact yeah, that uh -huh. he got so violent, he broke Mr. Halloran's nose and gave Father yeah. Van Rue, another Jesuit, a, a bloody nose. And it's interesting, mm -hmm. too, because as it got stronger and stronger, he got more and more vile in the way he would yeah. deal with people. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's just because, you know, it's not no longer Robbie's. Robbie was actually a, a frail sort of mm -hmm. a guy you know, hardly the kind of guy to reach under his bed right. uh, as he did at one point, break off a bed spring. I mean, who does that? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know, you'd have to kind of have the Goliath grip to do that. And he, you know, he takes that bed spring and just whacks this, the first exorcist right from the shoulder all the way down to the wrist and the, it opens up his entire arm. Uh, and if he hadn't been at Georgetown right. Hospital, uh, you know, he'd have bled to death. But the, the point, um, again, is, that um, the exorcism persisted and it continued. And Robbie got closer and closer because remember, they're not in that trance state all the time. You know, like I think about 80% right. of the time they, they look perfectly normal. Right. And, and then when they're not in the trance state, that's of course when you can evangelize them. That's when you can try and baptize them. That's when you can try and get them to do the creed. But of course, as they approach that moment where Robbie in his freedom said, yeah, I'm willing, then boo, you right. know, the, the, the trance would come on him right. uh, very involuntarily and he would be prevented. But eventually persistence won out and the exorcism was successful. Excellent, and we are finished for today, so if you'll give oh. us your blessing, we could use that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Okay, and bow your heads and pray for God's blessing, and may God, the Father of mercy, make you an evangelist of the faith, and especially the faith that promotes the culture of life, the culture of the sacredness of life, that as we approach these elections, as we approach this upcoming decision, that we might 
prepare ourselves to go out and make real apostles of those in the world who are confused toward this new evangelization, toward this new culture of life, so that we might eliminate the horrible sin and disorder of uh, abortion from our culture and from the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. We shall see you next week. And don't forget about all the Father Spitzer's books and videos available through our catalog. Next week, we continue with the signs of demonic possession. This week, I have a nice bookmark with Love Never Fails, Living the Catholic Faith in Our Daily Lives with Bishop Donald Hying. And also, look for our pro-life programming all on EW10.com. All the information, as I mentioned, Friday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, we're going to once again bring you March for Life live from Washington, D.C., day-long rally for the unborn. We'll feature interviews and speakers, culminating, of course, in the march up Constitution Avenue to the Supreme Court building, complete coverage, camera, wall-to-wall. -wall. And then, of course, Saturday, this Walk for Life West Coast, One Life L.A., another great couple of programs. Our coverage begins at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time because it's on the West Coast. So check all that information on our EWTN.com and look for On Demand as well in case you miss it. And this is Doug Keck inviting you to join us next time when we once more enter Father Spitzer's universe. We shall see you next time. Thanks.